I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. And I'm April, sex toy maven, VP of Hot Octopus, and I've dedicated my life to the business of sex. We're two people with a passion for educating and inspiring shame-free conversations about sex and relationships. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Sex Revolution. Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to ShamelessSex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSSEX at PurePleasureShop.com. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shameless Sex Podcast. Or maybe this is your first time. Welcome. Welcome for the first time. Oh, welcome to the party. We're really fun, right, Chip? We are. Well, they don't know that yet, but they will soon. We're going to show you a good time. So this podcast is a really good time with Kate Laurie. No, No, Laurie. Fuck, I fucked it up again. That's okay. So I called her Laurie, too, during... during, I don't know why. I don't know why Laurie, Laurie. Anyways, Kate Laurie, uh, author of Open Deeply, a guide to building conscious, compassionate, open relationships. And she's awesome and we would like to advocate for um this as an episode for no matter what relationship dynamic you're in if you're monogamous you're non-monogamous you're not sure you're single i don't know um there's so many interesting and um important tips and tools uh, and inquiries in this episode i i learned a lot and april i think kind of fell in love with her a little bit I really appreciated not only how the connectivity was when you digitally have guests. It's really it can be weird. There's cutouts. She really dropped in with us in such a way that I felt safe and I felt that the questions were all being answered. And I even wanted to open more about questions that I had that were outside of the questions that we had discussed having with her before. And when that happens with a guest, I just feel like it's the perfect Rubik's cube where I solve the cube. You solved it. Well, have you ever solved a Rubik's cube? Uh, no, actually. I... There's those people that can do it in like 2.3 seconds. Yeah. I'm not one of those. I'm not either, but I haven't really spent a lot of time. I but I 12 still... seconds. <laughs> she just gave me the death stare while she said that. I totally did. Um, well, okay, yes. What April is saying, yes, it's hard because <laughs> we do these these Zoom interviews because like you can't really feel the energy. And um, I think what April's also elaborating on is it was like we were all in the same room. And that also is a sign of a great therapist who could work with you online because she has the ability to deeply connect with you as we experience. So, um, again, if you want to learn more about relationships in general, especially non-monogamy or open relationships, uh, listen on and you will probably learn a thing or two. And even if you're monogamous, yeah. you'll learn yeah. some things. All of the above. Or you're single and you're like, someday I'll want to be in a relationship. I don't know. Who knows? So we're all evolving every day. Sure, but before we move we on. Have a, we have a public service announcement. And this is regarding... So, so Daily Harvest had uh, a dish that was called the French Lentil and Leek Crumble Dish. If you did order this, please do not eat this. Uh, throw it in the garbage and do not eat this dish. And, and people who have no idea what friend, what we're talking about, they're like, are you serious right now? <laughs> they're like, Daily Harvest is a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, they're, they're, so some people have been getting um, sick from this particular uh, dish and things happen within the food industry and we really hope that, well, we just hope that no one gets sick, but especially our listeners. Um, and, you know, like food is a tricky business. So if you have that, 
throw it in the garbage and uh, go and eat something else and go to your grocery store. And yeah, um, because yeah, your body is your temple. So, okay, moving on from that public service announcement, let's talk about Dr. Nan because I love Dr. I Nan. Dr. Nan and Do- her dog. Oh, what's your song? How do you say it? Which one? Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan. That's not what you do. I just changed it. Oh, you go, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan. Well, my soprano. Like, what a man, what a man, what a man, but uh, Dr. Nan. Oh, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan, Dr. Nan, what a mighty fine man. Yeah, there it is. She, okay, I wish we were filming. I do off air, she did the, though. You even you did, like, a hand me. movement with that. You threw me, yes, and I get into it. Uh, sometimes I'll do my my mouth yes. movements yeah, as no, well. Yeah, no, it's coming to you. I see it. She's a embodying it as her dog's choking on a chew toy so the wonderful dr nan weiss who's been on we have show, a point here we'll get to a point perhaps four or five times i cannot remember uh, she is like kind of just part of the shameless sex family um or a residential but Which, she lives on the east coast street cred for dr nan she is a very recognized doctor she's been on t- the she's today a, show various neuroscientists neuro- and published author well respected not only a psycho she's a psychotherapist and sex therapist and sex therapist yeah. she's a well-respected doctor yeah. and so if you don't know about dr nan now you do yeah but she has been a many many mainstream portals of media as well and if you want to feel for her if you just go and look up on our website go look up dr nan weiss is her last name w-i-s-e we have so many episodes you can feel her energy because here's the thing she's offering a study for women who have never had an orgasm in the tri-state area and she lives on the east coast we're assuming that means the east coast area um, who might be interested in contributing to science Uh, my guess is and i don't have all the details but first of all she's a wonderful safe human being so I, I put my trust in her it's new york new jersey connecticut all right thank you for thank you jamie thank you um, <laughs> but my guess is also this study would probably support you in understanding your body better i can't guarantee that but if you are someone who is a woman um, my guess is she's meaning vulva owners but that's what I, what I have in this context is woman and you have not had an orgasm and you really want to contribute to research and maybe learn a bit about your body email dr nan so it's nan, N-A-N, at askdrnan.com. Doctor and spelled out. Doctor, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Um, and then she can uh, guide you along the way. And this is important because you can contribute to the world because a lot of people have a hard time having an orgasm or are in the same place as you if you've never had one and you've tried. So it, it does say women who have never had an orgasm. Yes, I see that. So I, but I, and so I'm, I, yes, that's why I'm assuming it's, it's people with vulvas, pussies, uh, clitoris. So if uh, you own a penis, you could try to apply and see if she'll take you. Maybe you'll just make new friends with Dr. Nan. That's also true. Maybe you'll be her client. She She's fabulous. <laughs> also, hey, can I just give myself a pat on the back? Because yes. earlier when you asked me where the tri-state area is, yeah. I said, I think it's New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Yeah. And fucking I was wrong. Yes. God, sometimes I just love being right. And that is not great when you're in a relationship so correction she always likes being right <laughs> i know God, i'm not i i really uh will admit when i'm wrong though you know this oh yes no i'm not saying that uh, i'm just saying you love being right so sometimes when you're right well and i love I, when I give people you like, fact check me yeah because i not i'm not turning this this is going to be a two second piece of information but people fact check me because i have this really weird brain where i can remember facts for no fucking reason and i'll be like oh that was blah 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 in 1872 and they're like you're full of shit and i'm like 
fucking Google it. And I'm going to Google it and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. I should start betting. Yeah, earlier. Or I should do something else with my power. You lost earlier, though, with Enrique Iglesias. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Sorry. Okay, word. Word. Yeah. All right. Because you were doing the da-da-da-da-dum-bum-bum-bum. Yeah. And I couldn't identify the song by that, by your harmonics. Yeah. However, I did appreciate the effort. Oh, it was the harmonics that you couldn't understand. (laughs) It was not your fault. Sounds like some blaming. (laughs) Okay. Dr. Nan, we need you. You know what? We need therapy. We got to go. We have a problem. Okay. Moving on to a sex question. All right. <clears throat> Got to regroup over here. Okay. So, so, so sex question from a self-proclaimed pussy owner. Like they liter- literally put this in their writing. So I recently purchased my first magic wand. So that's a sex toy. That's my favorite. April's favorite. At age 32. And I am finally exploring masturbation for the first time. I'm just learning so much about myself, including how much I love sex and how to figure out my body. But both times I've tried to masturbate with the magic wand, it's almost too much. I start slowly and then increase the intensity after five to ten minutes. And I get this huge buildup and then there's no release. It's driving me mad. And sometimes it almost hurts. Please help. Hmm. I've got two words for this. What's up? Legit. <laughs> No, it's one word, but legit word. That is true. That is true. It could be intense. That oh, yeah. is such a great perspective, observation, experience, and voicing that. And uh, this, I'm not giving any advice here. I have I just advice, but wanna, I know you do. Yeah. But I just want to honor the person for proclaiming it, it it takes some time and uh or it's just really intense it's so, super intense so okay let's talk about the magic wands first of all okay so magic wands used formerly known as the baseball bat I'm no, just the, <laughs> no they're almost the size of a baseball bat formerly it was a hitachi back massager Made in 1971. For your back. For your back. And your pussy. There used to be a white woman with a red unitard on the cover of the package. Using it on her back. Utilizing it on her back. It would plug into the wall. The voltage is 120. When we started uh, working in the sex toy industry at Pure Pleasure, uh, when it was a brick and mortar, that packaging was still available in 2008. That's the one I have. I know. You still have that packaging? Oh, that same. T- that you, well, I don't have that package. You still have the same toy from 2008? Yes, it's in the thing that you just were digging through in my fucking closet oh yeah there's a reason why i was digging through a sex toys <laughs> go to our instagram you'll find out um anyways um wow she's see, like, i gotta wash this one it's dirty yeah well it was some things on it so. that was your choice all right back to the subject so the magic wand uh formerly known as the hitachi now so there's the magic wand there's the one that you have that's a plug-in that has Two speeds, super strong and super fucking strong. And then there's the rechargeable that has like still pretty strong, super strong, really strong. And maybe some like pulsations, maybe. I'm not sure. They have about four speeds on the rechargeable. But it's like a little, you can go a little lighter. And then there's the mini magic now, which mini magic one, which we love, which is three speeds, right? No, there's still four. Still four. Okay. She's a magic one expert. I have all of them. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I saw, I was touching all of them earlier today. So. Um, and they look beautiful. I had to wash a couple of them for various reasons. Um, anyway, so <laughs> jerk off July is coming up. Uh, so if you have this one, though, the plug in that is just super strong and then super duper strong, it makes sense that it feels really overwhelming on your body. And what I have heard people do is 
put a cloth or of some sort, like a some sort of towel, or washcloth of some sort over thick their underwear. Yeah, thick underwear. Like you, when, and you can play with the textures and the thickness of the textures um, on your bits, and then you use use it on your bits, um, also on your clitoris, your labia, so that it acts as, as some sort of barrier for the intensity of it. Um, the other thing, I mean, I've, I've had people use it through jeans before. You know, like be able because it's so strong. It's it's such a strong toy. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, where on your body are you putting it? You know, are you putting it right on the head of your clitoris? Because you might want to hang out a little more to the left, a little more to the right. Even on the pubic mound. Yeah. Like play around with all the different areas there. Um, so there's there's a, there, it's just, there's a lot of options for it. And I, it, I like that you're starting slow and then you increase later and you're getting this buildup. And, and then it sounds like, and, and I also, the last thing I'll add in April, we'll probably have something to save too. Um, and, and then we'll talk about where you can get one. Um, is uh, the, the no release thing is... Um, if your mind is really set on the orgasm, if you can really just settle and focus on the sensations that are happening within your vulva, your genitals, your clitoris, um, so the pleasure, the warmth, the tingling, as opposed to I want orgasm, when's the orgasm happening, where's the orgasm, um, that might help you too. But you might just need a little bit more of a barrier, a little more lightness um, of using the toy in different parts of your genitals and then um, yeah, getting rid of the goal. Uh, love that. This person also mentioned they only used it both times, so two times. And I would say I have a rule of three. Me too. I love that And rule. It, it doesn't just apply to sex toys. Amy and I have talked about it, about dating oh, yeah. and having sex with a person for the first time. We've talked about sometimes it. Sometimes snacks. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes snacking on things, the third sip of wine, all of these things. They're... I'm not we have not proven the rule of three that is just a a theory that shameless sex has and I do think that this this product is very powerful it's amazing and it is at the top of the power motor the 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 frequency of vibration that you are receiving from this particular motor is at that high level and you really can't get higher levels or more powerful motors in this so I will recommend because I had to work myself up to the magic wand and I also was an avid humper and if you purchased this product at 32 and you'd never used vibrators and I don't know how much massage or, or hands or humping that you've ever had and depending on or masturbation with your hands right yeah. yeah like self-pleasuring with hands if you're new to, to any of those experiences I would understand how intense that would be you could also get something smaller and lighter with vibration and work your way up if you want to, uh, because I do believe in my own mind that the magic wand is kind of like having a master's in masturbation. <laughs> it's kind of like what you do. You need a, ba you need a bachelor's of arts first or, or a bachelor's of science before you work your way to the master's degree in masturbation. It's also fantastic, though, for people who have a hard time accessing orgasm because it's so That's powerful. how I learned how to ejaculate. Yeah. Yeah. With the magic wand. It's amazing. It, like it, It's so powerful. And so also, if you want something lighter, you know, then the mini magic wand has more options. The rechargeable magic wand has more options. Or what's a softer? We so at Peer Pleasure, it's been so many years since I've actually worked in retail, and I mean, hot octopus. We're always focused on on power, yeah. And we have a range, uh, and perhaps 
I will suggest you could try the digit or the ammo, like the smaller bullet vibes. Uh, or you could even go with something just like a very basic chill, spend $20 vibrator that you don't have to invest a lot into just work your way up and understand the sensation. But I would would attempt the rule of three and also the jean slash underwear trick that you suggested or a towel or a towel well and, and so betty dodson's work so she used and she rest in peace betty rest dodson in, rest in power rest in power, rest in power better. Uh, so she she used to do we were supposed to go to her body sex circles we were essentially like a whole bunch of vulva owning humans all hanging out together saying that showing their their pussies to each other and saying this is my pussy and all kind of baiting together and um she's a big fan of the magic wand but she does say people need to kind of learn how to use it because it can either take you from you know 10 to just 10 seconds all of a sudden you have an orgasm and you kind of get used to it so you know playing around with it where you kind of build up the tease but also playing not putting it directly in the head the clitoris or adding a barrier could really be helpful with this um, for your for your play so um yeah lots of options available for you product that you showed on our instagram uh the the mystic one the mystic one is a lighter vibration so that's the same company but it's a it's battery operated and it's still strong. It's not and as strong though. Yeah, it's not. As, no, definitely not from as an strong. Ex, from a, someone that has a PhD in magic. Oh, wands. I was touching. It was from your <laughs> sex toy drawer, honey. I cleaned it for you. So, and everyone's like, "Why were you cleaning your and sex that toys?" Is an, uh, it's affordable, and yeah. you can get fifteen percent off. Yes, and so if you go to purepleasureshop.com for any of these toys, um, whether it's the regular magic wand that plugs into a wall that's super powerful, to the rechargeable magic wand, to the mini magic wand, to the mystic wand. Uh, purepleasureshop.com use coupon code shameless sex so you get 15% off you support my mom and uh, her well-being hey mom we love you love you Janice you're the best P.S. my magic wand still says Hitachi on it that's that old oh my god that's right when we're 80 we're gonna have a sex toy museum I'm gonna come after you we're having a (laughs) show Are you ready for a bio? Yeah. We should be filming this. You're like pointing at me and doing those hand gestures and shit. I'm in a bra. Animated as too hot for me to wear a top right now. Okay. Anyways. It is. You are. Okay. Kate LeRae, LMFT, is a sex-positive, licensed marriage and family therapist with specialty in non-monogamous, kink, LGBTQ, and sex worker communities, and is the author of Open Deeply, a guide to building conscious, compassionate, open relationships. She is a certified EMDR therapist with additional training in the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM, and is co-host of the sex-positive podcast, Open Deeply. To learn more, visit katelaray.com. All right, everyone, it is interview time. And today we are here with Kate Laurie, who is a fantastic author and a trauma-informed therapist who specializes in non-monogamy. And guess what? This episode will also share uh, ideas, concepts, information, tips, tricks for folks who are monogamous because a lot of the things that happen in non-monogamy also apply to uh, monogamy, especially when it comes to communication skills. So whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, this will likely have something for you. Maybe you're curious about non-monogamy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we will start with uh, the same prompt that we give all of our guests. So Kate Lori, can you please tell us how you got to where you are today in the field of sexual Well, um, let's see. So I've been a psychotherapist for just short of 20 years. And when I came out to LA to get my master's degree in becoming a therapist, 
almost concurrently within a year, I met my partner that I would end up being non-monogamous with, and it ended up being a 13-year relationship and marriage. And so that was non-monogamous. And so um, even before I opened my practice that specialized in non-monogamy, I was having my own private non-monogamous journey. And so when I opened up my practice, I had clients before I even had a space because most non-monogamous people want to go to somebody who's walked the walk. And so that's how that happened. And then concurrently, I've always getting, been getting trained in uh, trauma therapy. So EMDR, somatic psychotherapy. And so my approach very much dovetails those two things, which may seem, you know, like, why do those two things need to be dovetailed? But as you talk to me, I think it'll become apparent. Mm. Um, yeah, because basically being happy within non-monogamy very much is about tracking your body and somatic grounding skills and all of that. And that is very much uh, the realm of trauma therapists. A lot of them do a lot of somatic psychotherapy and, and that sort of thing. So it actually dovetails perfectly. There's also the conversations involved in non-monogamy, right? If you're going to do it ethically, a lot of times. Uh, and mm -hmm. that, that's one thing I really, before my question, I think folks out there that are unfamiliar with non-monogamy, they go, they go, I don't want to say they go straight, but they go directly to a few different things. Polyamory. They're like, oh, this you're talking about being polyamorous. And I'm like, no, it's not about that. Or, oh, you're talking about cheating. I'm like, no, it's not about that. There are so many different variations of non-monogamy. And I want to highlight that first. And then here comes the question. What are the attachment styles and how do they impact relationships in general, especially within non-monogamy? Yeah, well, if you that. were to Google it, you'll you'll see um, a different four. You'll see different combinations. I go by the Diane Fool Heller model. And so her four styles are a secure attachment style. This person with a secure attachment style has that background um, where their parents had their back and basically they, they trust the world. They feel the world has their back, you know, and then you got the other three, which are insecure attachment, attachment styles. So the ambivalent attachment style, sometimes you'll hear that being called anxious ambivalent, the avoidant and the disorganized. So, you know, within non-monogamy, the secure attachment style basically is, you know, it's going to be easier for them because they believe that everything's going to work out. That's been their experience. Same thing in monogamous relationships. They probably are going to feel just more relaxed in it. And even if they had a breakup, they're like, ah, I'm going to grieve, but I'll get over it. Whereas if you move to the anxious ambivalent style, Within non-monogamy, they're that hover pilot going, what if, what if my partner falls in love with someone else? You know, what if, what if I fall in love with someone else? You know, like they're, they're a nervous Nelly and they're thinking, you know, well, maybe if I wear more lingerie, that'll keep my partner bonded to me. Or maybe if I yell louder, then I'll get my way. You know, they have a, and then in their head, they're very ambivalent about the relationship. Okay. So I feel I am one of those ambivalent, avoidant, and also probably insecure humans. And my <laughs> attachment style might be all. So would you say to me in, if I were to work with you that perhaps I shouldn't explore non-monogamy because even the thought of it being like, Oh, even though there's no fucking security in monogamy because you don't own a person, but would you be like, mm, or work on yourself first? Because I think that's something that people get stuck in, at least for me, the security that I desire with one person. I'm like, Oh, what, what if they fall in love with someone else? What if there's pussies better than mine? And that's my insecurities, right? Right. Right. Well, you have to ask yourself that, but you know, when you think about 
um, somebody that say has a lot of attachment injuries. Maybe they have a lot of abandonment in their backstory. Um, a therapist that looks through a monogamous lens would would probably say, oh, you need to be monogamous because you need a secure base and you need to just know that your base is going to be there for you. And I can understand that lens of that therapist that would say that. But I could also argue that when you're non-monogamous and you have more than one partner and it may be sexual or not, because there's asexual people that are non-monogamous, uh, then it creates a safety net. So if one partner upsets you, uh, passes away, um, leaves you, you have a safety net of some other people that are invested in, in you that have your back. Hmm. And that safety net can really uh, help somebody that has abandonment issues sometimes. Totally. I, that's something I've thought about with about non-monogamy is with monogamy, we're kind of putting all our eggs in one basket. And if that basket somehow leaves us, you know, isn't accessible for very you near know, is or gone. Um, and uh, now we're going through a grieving process. And if we have, but if we have multiple baskets, it's like, well, you know, I don't have to go through this alone. And, you know, I have these other partners and that of course, in monogamous relationships, like that's why we have friends and family and therapists. So, you don't necessarily have to have other partners to feel like, okay, everything's all good. Mm -hmm. And I relate with, so April, you're, you're saying that you kind of relate to the anxious, more anxious piece of like, what if I'm not good enough avoidant as well? So oh, I'll, avoid oh, you're avoidant too. Okay. But, yeah, which, but mostly, which, but mostly anxious. So, so avoidant, I think was the next one you were going to talk about uh, yeah. a little more elaborate on. And, and that's one reason some people just don't call it anxious. Sometimes they call it anxious ambivalent because a lot of folks that are anxious ambivalent do have that kind of push-pull dynamic a little bit. They they don't think the relationship's perfect. They are scanning for what's wrong. So, you know, it may be that you're more the anxious ambivalent type. And, and before I move on to avoidant, let me just briefly say that we're not locked in stone just as we heal, we can shift towards a secure attachment style. You know, it's like, these things kind of set the groundwork in our past, but we can shift to a secure attachment style if we do the work. When you go to the avoidant style, uh, that's that person. The, the quintessential example is that rock star that has a, a, a partner in every port. And even when they're home with their home base, they're sleeping on the sofa because they're making some excuse not to be with their partner, you know, like that kind of extreme um, example. But, you know, within a monogamous relationship, it can be incredibly painful to date that uh, avoidant type because that's, oh, yeah. that's your everything person and they're not being there for you, right? Oh my so God, been, be really... been there. It was hell. Well, not all the time, but with, you know, in a relationship with a you highly, were with an avoidant? highly avoidant person, oh, you're like yeah, where it, an example of this would be, you know, we, something would go wrong. Like I'm hurt about something. I express my hurt. Now they're upset about my hurt. And now they essentially are barely talking to me for two weeks or, right. or, or, and it would get better. Like you're saying, we would, you know, work on it because I was with them for five and a half years off and on broke up five times, but you mm -hmm. know, through that, um, lots, lots of hurt and I won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah. as we did the work, with therapists and that he did his own work and I was doing my work and um, uh, it would instead of two weeks now then it would now be like a week and then it would be a couple days and then be a couple hours but for me so as I kind of identify as someone who is as a secure attachment with very anxious tendencies yeah because uh, I've been in relationships for you know my first love for four years we were both very secure there. And, um, and then we just became like housemates after your year three and that one, well, then the sex wasn't really happening. Yeah. It was time to go, but we were young, you know, and still learning, but I, but yeah, that avoidance space 
to me is it is also um you know i it's a representation of that my, triggered your trauma right my, my dad stuff, yeah right. my dad was also that's kind of his way of dealing with stuff and it would cause so much anxiety for me and mm -hmm. i would and it was hard to have compassion uh, compassion for the avoidant person because i'm like you seem all good over there because you're like, I, I need my space. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. But I mean, I understand that it's not easy for the avoidant person either because likely deep down, they're probably going through their own stuff. It's just a different way of feeling challenge. Yeah, yeah. So one thing, they, they've done some studies on people who seem just calm and cool and they're pulling away and they've done studies on what's going on in them physiologically. And sometimes they're more jacked up than the person that's anxious. So it can be very misleading. But Sue Johnson wrote a book called Hold Me Tight that is exactly about this, where the per this person, it's the chicken or the egg kind of thing. So if this person withdraws, this person usually gets bigger. Like maybe if I yell louder, maybe if I, you know, nag them more. And it, this kind of uh, dynamic happens where this person's getting bigger and this one's pulling away more. And if that keeps happening, they'll head towards a breakup or a divorce. And so the job is for this person to dial it down and this person to come forward, mm -hmm. you know? And so you can, and when it comes to non-monogamy, you can imagine that it might be a little bit easier if this person is not your primary partner. Um, you know, oh, I'm not doing avoidant anymore. Sorry. No, no avoidant people. <laughs> like right. if, avoid, if avoidance your go-to just I'm, I'm screening that out from the beginning. <laughs> And the I, good news is yeah. you said that people can move through these, right? With healing, with healing their, what, what's happening to trigger these, uh, attachment styles. You can heal. I, I don't have to be anxious and anymore. Right. Or it gets, right. Yeah. Please tell or me, it gets please easier, tell me. I can be, if or, you yeah. use the right care <laughs> or you use the right strategies and yes, it, you can heal for, for sure. You know, uh, but one thing is to realize if you're in one of these relationships with somebody who, no matter what you do, they, they aren't willing to do the work like, like you had in your relationship and they just keep pulling away. That's probably going to be re-traumatizing your own abandonment issues and, and all sorts of things. And, and you certainly don't want to move them into a primary position within non-monogamy because then you're in that same situation where, um, you don't have that main person that's there for you. And in fact, if you move somebody who's more in a secondary or tertiary position within non-monogamy to primary, you might think, oh, well, now they're, they're going to show up for me. But once they're in that primary position with more responsibility and pressure, they usually get worse than what they were before, mm. you know, and yeah. then you, you move on to the disorganized style. And usually they are the ones with the worst backstories. Not everybody with a trauma history ends up being a disorganized style. Just, just like not everybody with a horrible backstory ends up having borderline personality disorder, you know, but that person has a tendency to be more erratic and uh, they have more chaos in their life and they tend to have a lot of pain and their partners tend to experience a lot of pain. And you can imagine that when you combine that with non-monogamy, which is more complicated uh, relationship model because it pokes at our attachment injuries more, that that could get pretty explosive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, would imagine. And I, I am someone who have, has not explored, um, monog not full on non-monogamy and uh, like april said it means that means so many things you know i i am monogamish i've done the kind of play party things or like threesome things or some unethical non-monogamy in that uh, hurtful relationship there um where there was um a lot of things happening outside of the relationship that was not being shared and was not part of the relationship agreement there 
Mm-hmm. Um, and bringing this back to the monog- monogamy piece, because I know we're talking about non-monogamy. So these attachment styles, they show up everywhere, no matter who we're in relationship with, yeah. they're showing up everywhere. And so there's then, and so is it really important or helpful to understand your attachment style and for your partners to understand theirs, like do a deeper dive in that so that we know how to work together? I think it can be a good anchor to help you look at things. And, and just to, I just want to say one little sentence again, just because you have a bad backstory does not mean you're going to end up being a disorganized attachment style. It does not mean that you can't do non-monogamy. There's plenty of people who do non-monogamy or monogamy with a hard backstory and they pull it off and they have a glorious life. You know, I don't want to like make people feel hopeless or helpless in any way. Let's see. And then, then yeah, I, I think it can be super helpful. And I think it's a good way to talk to your partner about dynamics that are happening within the relationship. Because guess what? A lot of times the anxious ambivalent type does date the withdrawn type, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. the avoidant type. Yep. And and then they exacerbate their patterns. And if they understand that that's what's going on, then it kind of cuts down someone saying, it's all your fault or it's all your fault. And then they realize, oh, it's, it's, it's the combination of, of me and you together that's exacerbating this problem. And then once you recognize it, then there's kind of ways to move through it. Hmm. It's pretty incredible that there's so many humans on the planet, yet somehow we all sit within these four realms of, of categories that of attachment styles that yeah. we don't, right. Yeah. It's still just pretty, but, but I feel like Categorically speaking, you can figure that out through, I'm sure your work, you can help folks. And we'll get to that later because I know people out there will have no idea what we're talking about when we're talking about attachment style and they won't know what they are. They're like, I don't know. I might be all of those things or I don't fit with any of those things. So we'll, we'll have to get clear for folks out there that are curious about their attachment style and how to do that. Well, well one thing I want to throw in, in the dating world that I've, um, that I've done and suggested to people as you know, someone who's like, pretty clear that I really don't want to date people who are highly avoidant. It's just, it's just, I, I, it's just not really, I know it doesn't work well for me and I'm not really willing to, to do that. There's plenty of other fish in the sea and I'm not all avoidant folks. Love you. Love you. Yeah. But just, you're not, uh, I don't work well with you. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, one of the questions that I would ask in the dating world, like, so say April and I are on a date, she loves this example. I'm gonna stop saying that. But so <laughs> April and I, we did, we were going our first date and we're like, Hey, nice to meet you. And we get to know each other a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, I also like to be like, so do you ever do therapy? You know, I, I just go into those places. So I'm not saying you guys have, to, y'all have to do that. Um, but at some point to at what I would ask someone is when things are really hard in relationships, like think of like, your past relationships, when things get really hard, what, what do you usually do? Are, are you someone who needs some space, like needs to kind of like run or get away or get like really remove yourself from the situation? Are you someone that kind of like really wants to work it out? And it's really, really important to work it out right now. Are you kind of, or do you feel like you're someone who's kind of can just chill and like be in your space and just like, okay, let's, let's work. I would this. run because you should have waited to, for the third date. <laughs> if I did the see, yeah, then she'd be out. But, and then we wouldn't be compatible. Yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but but that you know, and that and maybe I wouldn't ask that. I probably actually know myself. I'd probably ask that on the first date, but it'd probably be like hour two. So. Yeah, and, and you can find quizzes online to help you figure out your attachment style, and and also you'll probably notice that over the course of your life, when you think about the different people that you dated, someone, some people probably uh, you know brought out a particular style in you. Mm-hmm. you know, and you might've kind of flip-flopped a little bit across your life. So, you know, it, it's a little bit more complicated than the four model, you know, the four styles indicate, but it does give you kind of a, at least a way to think about things. 
some kind of map. I like that. Love maps. So, okay. How do people know if they are non-monogamous? What's the difference between fantasy or I want to get my needs met, my partner's not doing that, and desire? Can you kind of go deeper into that? Yeah. Well, well, first off, and I think your previous guest was even talking about this, you know, sometimes we eroticize things that in our childhood scared us or even something. This is this is gonna sound like I'm being tangential. Like let's face it, like a lot of women their biggest fantasy might be a ravishment fantasy, mm. but in real life, a rape would be their worst fear, right? Yeah, it's me like, right here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, same thing with cuckold fantasies and so many others. And so you may have a fantasy about non-monogamy that's super hot in your head. And you have to really ask yourself, like, does this need to say neatly tucked away in my head or do I need to kind of unfold this and see? And I think a lot of times people don't know. So oftentimes I'll have a couple and one person is like, I'm going to be jealous. This is going to be super hard for me. I want to try it, but I'm, this is going to be hard. And the other person's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be the peacock. I'm going to be strutting my stuff, you know, and they go to the party and it's right opposite. It is right the opposite. The jealous one is like the bell of the ball. And she's like, oh my God, I never thought it was going to be like this. This is amazing. And then this person is like, I thought I was going to get a whole bunch of lovers the first night and nobody even talked to me and me. This makes me want to try this. Yeah, April's into it. Because I'm always like, I'm going to go. I'm going to be so jealous. I'll be like, look at it. Oh, that was like when we went to go watch the vulva demonstration. I was like, I got this. I've been in front of so many genitals and seen demonstrations. And like April, I was like, this might be hard for April. And I was the one like, this is a lot. And April's like, you just Interesting. I was like, what about a little bit more to the left? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I was like, oh my God, she's like, she was the bell of the ball. <laughs> right. And so I always tell people go slow. Maybe first just go to um, a lecture, like say here in LA, it would be the ple- pleasure chest, and then go and get some wine and talk about it. Then maybe go to a a party that's um, at a, a bar where there's no play and just talk to people that are non monogamous. Or then maybe go to a play party. But again, you don't play. You just kind of watch and like slowly ease into it and then talk about it. A lot of people that are non-monogamous, they kind of fall in love under a sixth love language that you might call carefree, fun, freedom, and adventure. So they tend to like oh. be like Tigger and want to like romp down doing backflips towards non-monogamy. <laughs> and then, you know, and then they go to three play parties right in a row. And then they come limping into my office because they've been together for 15 years and they've been good business partners, good family partners, this and that. And they thought it would all translate and they didn't realize that entering non-monogamy, they'd be like a little baby falling on their butt and falling on their face. And it's a whole new ball game of trust, mm. you know? And so I'm always trying to get people to Go slower. <laughs> so not straight for the orgy or gangbang, like right away. <laughs> the boyer, go as a boyer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I, I'm you have to keep in mind that in the land of non-monogamous, you know, speakers, etc. I'm I'm a little bit like mom. I have a lot more. I I have a lot of clients that are porn performers and escorts. I kind of joke that I'm the porn star mom, you know, so I'm I'm like mom being like, go slower, honey, you know, (laughs) and and then I'm also always trying to tell people to track their body, you know, like track your body. Don't ignore if you feel that knife drop inside Um, that doesn't, if you feel the knife drop inside when your partner asks for something, that does not mean that non-monogamy is wrong for you. It doesn't mean that whatever they're asking for is wrong. It means you need to sit with it, get grounded, 
get connected to your mind and your sensations and your emotions from a grounded, centered place, whatever you need to do, meditate, go on a walk, go for a jog, whatever it does, whatever it takes to get centered in your body and then ask yourself what's going on. It might take getting in touch with that moment and getting in touch with it emotionally and somatically and then bridge back to the first or worst memory that pops up for you that somatically and emotionally feels similar. Maybe it was a time that, you know, your parents drove away with your sister Sally while they were howling laughing and you were left at the gas station watching the car drive away and you're like, oh, they used to favor her all the time. I'm getting triggered because I'm fearful of being left and my old memories of those injuries are getting triggered. Now I, I, I know what I need to ask of my partner. I know what my self-worth needs to be and it may change what you say. Mm. or you might come back and just be like, no, dude, that I am not okay with that. Let's talk. But, but it's going to be a conversation, right? Because within non-monogamy, there's sometimes many partners involved and they all deserve to have a voice. This is kind of a tangent from uh, the next question we were going to ask, but I'm curious. So you work with a lot of porn stars and so they're people who are in, in relationships with people, but they're having sex with other people as a part of their career. And so you're working with them around their, I mean, sometimes maybe, or maybe they are non-monogamous people, but like, I mean, and I would, I don't know if I would even put that in the category of non-monogamy. That's because that's like their profession, but um, I'm just kind of, kind of curious a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and I also get the partners of porn performers and yeah. high-end high end escorts. And basically some porn performers regard themselves as monogamous. They do regard that as their job, you know, and then there's other porn performers that are non-monogamous when they're off work, you know, and they may vary in, in flow. So there's all of that. I think one of the problems comes with sometimes the partner, the partner feels like their partner is non-monogamous because they they are sleeping with different people on the job and they might get into arguments about that where the porn star is like this is my job do you know how many cameras are on me do you know how you know like in between scenes we're scratching our asses you know like <laughs> like to them it may in in a lot of ways uh you know be just work and they may enjoy their work i'm not saying that they they don't but um, they sometimes get into arguments about that, um, especially if if the porn performer wants to be monogamous. Yeah, and It'd be the same with profe- it's the same with the big blockbuster actors as well, right? I, I, when you're doing hot, steamy scenes with some handsome or beautiful human, and and, and then monogamous left Jennifer Aniston for mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie. Just kidding, I don't know if that's what really happened. <laughs> no, that is what happened. Oh, on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. They, they needed so, you. Where were you, Lori? <laughs> I'm only relating that because porn star or not? Yes, there's Lori. Penetration, <laughs> but there's cameras and there's there's an intimate exchange of bodies being held together. And whether you're you're acting, you're performing, no matter if you're on uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or on Pirates version five. Oh, that's a porn. Everyone. Yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> a porn. That's I mean, with that, when I have a client like that, I am not there to dictate what's right or wrong. I'm just there to help them work through that and help both people see the other person's side and try and find some middle ground that they can live with, or if they can't agree, like help them work. If they end up breaking up, like help them with that. Uh, You know, I'm not dictating what's right or wrong. 
but I do understand it. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of porn performers also come to me because maybe they're grieving their grandma and they don't want a therapist that is like, well, the reason you're sad is because you're a porn performer. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Oh, Judgy therapist. Hell no. Uh -huh. there's, there's a lot. lot of, of yeah, there's a lot. Totally. Yeah. Or like kink shaming or yeah, finding, finding the right person to work with. So I'm going to combine these two, just some is clear clarification for April right here. So, um, when, when people get triggered, so, cause we talked about like some of the ways, like examples of, of when attachment styles and triggering. So when people actually get triggered with their partner, and I'm going to actually just combine this with monogamous and non-monogamous. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're, so you're triggered. What are some of the tools for, wow, I'm feeling really triggered right now. Um, that maybe apply more so to non-monogamy, but could also be applicable to monogamy as well. And I kind of touched on it before, but let's clarify it a little bit. So imagine uh, there's two partners that are at a play party and, you know, what names do we want to use? Josie and... Amy and April. Amy and April. Okay. okay. A Amy and April. <laughs> We're at a play April. party. Woo! Finally. Amy, Amy and April are at a play party. And it's one of your birthdays. Who, who's, who's, it's who's April's gonna... birthday. It's April's birthday. And for some reason... Amy just keeps on flirting with other folks. Woo, you're like, you know, oh, yeah. You know, you know, Amy's just flirting with other folks. And April inside is like getting pretty upset, you know, but isn't saying anything, doesn't want to cause drama, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, but on the, and they're on the ride home, they, you, Amy and April get into a massive fight and there's I'm like, bet you're not getting late tonight when we get home. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, what do you mean? We were at a play party and I, we were just, that's what, so we do at play parties and I, and I, I can't right, let her finish. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. No, but that, that's helpful. And so the next morning, <laughs> April wakes up and April's able to like, kind of calm down a little bit and all that. And, and so, you know, the first thing April can do is sit with it and again get in touch with it somatically and emotionally bridge back and she does see that it connects back to feeling left and abandoned when she was younger and so at that point she can ask herself okay what was amy's part in it well dude it was my birthday and that sucked Amy's no so, it was you know. my birthday oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah it was, yeah, that's it was april's like, birthday yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's like okay yes april can go yeah i have abandonment issues and maybe i need to work on that but also it was my birthday and it was um, sucky it's like both yeah. right yeah, totally. and so and so and because they are non-monogamous in this scenario um you know this gets more complicated and so april may come to amy and be look like and might say you know I get that maybe I need to do like some EMDR or some meditation or some grounding to heal some of my abandonment injuries. And that's my responsibility. But dude, it was my birthday. Like, yeah. All I wanted was a, a deep anal fisting from you and you couldn't even <laughs> give it to me for my birthday. Also, it, it was, you know, it was, it was my day and you kind of just went out and it, it, did, it seemed like you were just I like doing that. your own thing. So it's taking ownership of your own feelings and yeah. adjust, addressing those and not doing this blame situation like you made me feel this way so right and that i think is where the time comes into play and that does take it takes a lot even for folks that have a lot of experience with uh emotional intelligence for when you're triggered or experiencing these really difficult feelings that mm -hmm. are 
bringing up something from something that's deeply sometimes rooted within you and you don't even know why it's there and mm-hmm. you just want to like lash out or be mad. It is so hard to take a step back and I'll speak for myself. I know for me, I do so much work around this. I meditate every single day. I do breath work mm-hmm. every day. I exercise and still sometimes I find myself when I get triggered just lashing out and and it's so difficult and so I want everyone out there to know that you can do it. Be gentle with yourself. And every day is a new day. That's what I tell myself every time I have a lash out. I'm like, <sighs> more, more work to do. Yes, yeah. more work. So <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that, though, that suggestion. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if you can afford EMDR and you're catching something continuing to, to get triggered, EMDR is a great way to um, really clear out some things that um, you have trouble clearing out on your own. Okay, time for a quick break. This podcast is free to you because of our amazing sponsors like Uberlube. Uberlube is a luxurious silicone lubricant that can enhance your sex and intimacy. Uberlube's unique formula is velvety, long-lasting, with no flavor or scent, and it feels absolutely incredible on the body. There are thousands of doctors recommending Uberlube to their patients because it's less likely to throw off your pH than most other lubes. So whether you want to make your hot sex even hotter or you want to prevent dryness take our advice and check out our favorite go-to uber lube uber lube isn't just for sex i use it for massage to tame my frizzy hair to prevent chafing even for oral sex sessions i love how it comes in a beautiful bottle with a pump top for easy access appearing more like a cosmetic product so you can leave it on your nightstand shamelessly uber lube is without a doubt my favorite lube and countless listeners agree often stating we never knew lube could be this good to learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com. Use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast was also made possible by omgs.com. OMGS combines scientific research of real vulva owners so you can learn shame-free techniques on how to pleasure the pussy. OMGS studied 20,000 plus people of all ages and turned the research into animated modules, short videos, and beautiful infographics that are tasteful and easy to understand. Whether you want to learn about external pleasure, internal stimulation, or techniques with toys, OMGS can help you master vulva pleasure. Let me tell you, I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and it's been changing their lives because knowledge really can activate your pleasure power. OMGS is for anyone who cares about vulva pleasure and wants to take it to the next level. OMGS can help you become a sexual strategist by equipping you with the tools you need to unlock your pleasure potential. Plus, your OMGS purchase helps fund more pleasure research. OMG, that's great. Only pay once and these techniques are yours forever. That's right. This is not a subscription service and you don't need to download a thing. So go to omgs.com slash shameless to get 10% off when you purchase any OMGS season. Again, go to omgs.com slash shameless to get 10% off right now. Time to pursue your pleasure. And now back to the show. Another thing that I'd say going back to the party, maybe April notices all of this, but April is like, you know what? We've been in therapy. Our, our therapist has taught us about how to take a proper time out or, or to get out of this situation. And maybe in advance, they figured out some way to get out of the party without causing drama. Like saying, oh, I just, I just got this text from my mom. I need to take you out of the party and talk to you. Some, some little white lie that gets you out of there without anybody even knowing what's going on. And then you could have a conversation. And it may be that you don't, if you don't just bear through the whole party, 
and you bring your partner out and you have a little sidebar conversation, it may be that you can move through this without it escalating. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's another thing that I would say is that there's no reason to just bear through things. There's ways to, to address things without it causing drama in front of others, without, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous. That's another thing I'd say. I like that because I've always been taught to bear through it. Oh yeah. Tolerate. Uh, tolerate and just deal. And it'll get y'all, you're stronger than that. Anyway, it's not about me. I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just relating to what you're saying in, in a way that's really that helped me feel safe right there. Thank you. Uh yeah, yeah. so if we talk about some of the because we've we've covered so much about non-monogamy. But if folks want tips for navigating non-monogamous relationships, and maybe they're not necessarily going to do that, but could these tips also apply to monogamy as well? And if you have any, I don't know, top three, four, five tips for um, surviving, no, navigating non-monogamy, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think all of this can apply to monogamy as well. Another thing that I would add, you know, is just if you're having a hard conversation, like when, like April and Amy were in the drive, you know, during the drive home. I'm sorry, Chip. Yes, I- <laughs> that, that, you know, it, it's okay to take um, what I call a proper timeout. Most of my clients that come to practice, my practice, uh, their timeout goes like this. Screw you. And slamming the door and stomping out, right? Mm-hmm. And that leaves the person that's left feeling, you know, wondering if they're being broken up with, wondering if the conversation is being disrespected, wondering if they're being disrespected. So if you're able to get, you know, try again, we're tracking our body. So we're noticing when we're going towards a rage, which might mean, oh, when I fart, start to feel heat in my face, that means I'm about to lose it. Like if you're tracking your body, you can get in front of that moment where you lose your shit, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and with a lot of my clients, whether it's rage and they punch a hole in the wall or whether it's binge eating or whatever it is, at first they'll say, there is no window. I go from calm to seeing red, but there, if all you need is 30 seconds, man. And then you can like put a little, it's like the bicycle wheel is going on and it's like stick, putting a stick in that wheel that's going around. So if you're able to get in front of you just need 30 seconds and then you can do a proper timeout and just be like, and address those things. I love you. I'm not abandoning the conversation. I just need to calm down and I'll come back in whatever, 15 minutes, an hour, a day, whatever it is, that's way better than what most people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gives some reassurance. The time frame is important because I've had partners leave before and it's so scary because that piece of abandonment, like you're leaving me, I'm not worthy. Uh, uh, and, and then you, you don't just know when suffer and you cycle. Right. And even if it's tomorrow, at least give me something, yeah. right? Something. Yeah. Or when you come back. Yeah. So if you're like an hour and you come back and you're like, Hey, I know I said an hour, but I still need more time. Then like, let's, set, text let's set, something. Let, I need more time. Yeah. Let's set more time. We can still be clear about that, but don't leave someone hanging there. Just like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. It's a complete game changer. It's a complete game changer. It can save relationships just making that switch and how you do a timeout, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so uh, going to your question about, um, you know, some tips with non-monogamy. I mean, like all of this has been tips, but um, I think one thing that's important is, it, it, you know, this applies to monogamy as well is choose a, you know, like a kind partner who is not entitled, who is not a narcissist. Now, in non-monogamy, you can see how non-monogamy can actually uh, be a narcissistic supply source. I don't know if you guys have heard that term. Like narcissists, because they don't really experience love or give love, 
they need something else. Like for what most human love is like our gas, it's our sun, it's our water, it's our soil. Narcissists don't really, they may think they're in love, but they don't really understand love in the way a lot of other folks do. So they end up needing another narcissistic supply source, whether it's jewelry, a, you know, you know, a whole bunch of hot lovers on their arm, you know, like fancy cars, money, fame, that's their narcissistic supply. So you can see how non-monogamy can create this massive narcissistic supply. And so mm -hmm. they'll usually choose an overgiver, you know, somebody who is codependent. Uh, been there, no comment, been there, but they just commented, been there. That, that, will, <laughs> that will enable that. And so that dynamic, you know, non-monogamy can be gorgeous. It can be wonderful and fulfilling and yummy and all these good things. But that combo that happens a lot is just a recipe for pain for the overgiver. We And we didn't even go into unethical or non-ethical and ethical non-monogamy, right? Because there are different ways to do it. And and we, we don't have to go that far into that. But I feel as though it is a point to touch on because, and not that all narcissists would do that, however, a lot, a lot of times when you hear these horror stories about uh, my partner cheated, told me that he loved me, and then he was out banging out, you know, 15 broads. I don't even like that word, but I just want to say, you know, at the at the IHOP. I don't know. Oh Wherever God. people go these days. That is a busy day at IHOP. Wow. <laughs> no, and, and, so, Not sponsored by IHOP, everyone, just so you know. I don't even like pancakes. Uh, <laughs> so I'm getting to a point here. So what, but can you talk a little bit about in terms, because what you were talking about this entire episode is ethical non-monogamy and doing it in an ethical, ethical way. When people think of non-monogamy, sometimes they think of this, what, the cheater, the, the narcissist, and that would be an unethical way to be non-monogamous, which would encompass lying or covering their own asses or right. So, so I don't know if you want to talk about anything, yes. um, and the differences, uh, up to you, but and, and by the to... way, not all cheaters are narcissists. Just want to be clear about the distinction between, and not those... all psychopaths are killers. Uh, oh yeah. All right. And not all dogs are cats. All right. Anyways. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So, so this is why a lot of academics, you know, when you research and pull up articles that are coming out of universities, they'll, they'll use um, consensual non-monogamy rather than ethical non-monogamy because, you know, how did non-monogamous people get to be the, the people that gets to determine what's ethical and, and clearly somebody could be polyamorous or a swinger and be doing it in a non-ethical way that is harming their partner, not just because maybe they're breaking relationship agreements, but maybe because they have no compassion or empathy, right? And so, you know, this whole uh, idea of, um, it, it makes more sense to use the term consensual non-monogamy, but we could argue that too. Like, how are you sure that somebody has given consent? Surely some people that have a backstory where they have um, uh, have learned to be a fawner, you know, do the fawn response, that can carry over into your adulthood. And you might say yes to things, but it's not really a true yes. So even switching from ethical non-monogamy to consensual non-monogamy still, still uh, can be questionable, but it's better. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like that. As so, we're in the process of writing our own book, and I'm like, do we say? What do we say? Ethical or, or consensual? So I like that. I like. Yeah. I, I like the the difference. We're gonna there have to go and point it out. Edits maybe. Yes. All right. So speaking of books, not yeah. about our book, your books. I'm sure so much of this is in the book. So your book is Open Deeply: A Guide to Conscious, Compassionate Non-Monogamy. Can you tell our listeners? I mean, you told a lot. You give us a lot of info, but kind of like what it, this book is about who it's for, like what, what else might be in there that they might be interested in learning? Yes. So, you know, basically there's other books that have come out before this book, obviously on non-monogamy, you know, like the ethical slut came out, I think in 1998 and it's had revisions. And if you still Google, Google it on Amazon, it still is like the number one, but, you know, and it's a brilliant book and, and I, I love Dosi and Janet, um, but it's a one-on-one book. And so clients would come into my practice and they had read that and other books before even the first session. And they're like, I'm, we're in our first month of non-monogamy and and already we feel completely lost. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to put tons of vignettes all through my book. They listed and addressed how to handle the most common things that I see in and out of my practice, just filled with very concrete vignettes that people can use, um, you know, because a lot of times people will talk theoretically, but they won't just like get down to the nitty gritty of how things unfold. Like in that example I gave with April and Amy, you know, and, that's and <laughs> so that's one thing. And then two, I, I talk about all the things that I talked about in this episode, you know, talking about how attachment injuries him, you know, impact non-monogamy and attachment styles triggers how to ground yourself, how to do a proper timeout, like all of that. But there's a lot more in it. I talk about things like positive affect tolerance and why that's important. I talk about why compassion is important for yourself and others. I talk about coming out as a non-monogamous person. There's a ton more that's in there that's just as crucial as anything that we talked about in this episode. Mm. Okay, so where can people not only find your book, but if they want to find you or work with you, I just have to tell you, you just made me feel so safe. I, I absolutely, and I just, want to work with you. I, I just feel like <laughs> you have this empathetic skill set that's really beautiful, and so thank you. And and thank I just you. wanted to give you that 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 really incredible uh, piece of information about yourself that I that I feel. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you are you. fantastic. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, as far as finding me, you can find my website at katelarie.com. So that's kate, L-O-R-E-E.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Open Deeply with Kate Larie. Honestly, on any social media, if you just type in Kate Larie, I'll pop up because it's an unusual enough name to, to find me. And Open Deeply, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. I just realized I said your name like Laurie so many times. Larie, Kate Larie. Sorry about that's okay. That. No worries. No worries at all. No siento. Oh, I really loved all of this and just the amount of compassion that you show, I think all levels of relationships, wherever they are at in non-monogamy or if they're monogamous. And I hope that you folks listening out there, I hope that you've taken away as much as, as we have from, from all of Kate's information and go check out open deeply. The key to unlocking your most conscious relationships, whether you want to choose non-monogamy or you want to be monogamous, is is knowledge and guidance. And it sounds like your book is is a, the proper tool for that. So thank you uh, so much, Kate. I hope we have you back again because uh, I loved hanging out with you. And 
I love all of our Shameless Sex listeners out there in the world of listening land, wherever you are located. If you can just take one moment right now and go to iTunes and now Spotify and give us a five-star rating. We read every single one. Amy, she uh, filters out the bad ones because, again, I'm so There's anxious that I can't read them. There aren't. That's there what we aren't need. a lot. However, we need you. If you love us as much as we love you, we need you. And you are five stars, too. Why? Because it helps more people find folks like Kate and her work. And it helps the world have shameless sex. And we thank you for being a part of the shameless sex revolution, y'all. We will see you next Tuesday. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.